Thank you, Ben, and thank you, boys and girls. What a great job uh, in leading us in worship and helping us focus on what Palm Sunday is all about. Well, the title slide of this sermon is a picture that I took a couple weeks ago with the group in Jerusalem. And it's a picture at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. We're standing right outside of the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're looking out across the Kidron Valley. That's the valley that runs down on that eastern side of Jerusalem. Uh, separates the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem. And so we're kind of there outside the garden looking up at the Temple Mount where uh, the temple once stood. And that view over that lush Green, fertile valley probably is very similar to the view that Jesus probably had as he came down that Mount of Olives riding on the donkey with the crowd celebrating, laying down the palm branches and the cloaks, shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just looking at that picture and thinking about Jesus seeing that and the throngs of people leading him on the way up to Jerusalem I think is a pretty powerful mental image for us this morning. And, of course, this is just one of a couple of different potential routes that Jesus could have taken into the city that day. This one is very popular, and it's one that I I tend to lean toward because of the Messianic prophecy that said that the Messiah would come into the city of Jerusalem through the eastern gate. And that is a a close-up of that last picture of the eastern gate. That is the, was the only gate on that side of Jerusalem, and it led straight into the temple. And in fact, the, the Jews, of course, they believe the Messiah is yet to come. The Christians, we believe he's coming again. But both Jews and Christians believe that the Messiah will enter into Jerusalem victoriously through those eastern gates. Now, you may notice, well, how's that going to happen? They're sealed up. Well, several hundred years ago, the Muslims, when they were in control of Jerusalem, sealed up that gate. And then they put a Muslim cemetery in front of it, all in an effort to keep the Messiah from entering into the city. It's the reason they did that. Now, let me ask you this. If a stone couldn't keep Jesus out of the tomb, you think some stones are going to keep him out of Jerusalem when he comes back again? I don't think so. Now, another theory is that Jesus traveled through uh, kind of the southern part of the Mount of Olives, and he came up from the southern gate into the city by the Pool of Siloam. It was called the Fountain Gate. And so this is the traditional pilgrim's route. Uh, When people would be coming up from Jericho, they'd be ascending up uh, to uh, Jerusalem. They would come through this southern gate, and that picture on the bottom left is uh, of the, the steps down into the Pool of Siloam that they've excavated. And they would come and they would dip in the Pool of Siloam for ritual purification. Then they would walk up the pilgrim's path that ascended along the Old, uh, Old Testament Jerusalem up to the Temple Mount, and we got to walk through some of that. It's, of course, all underground now, but you'll see that upper left picture is that pilgrim's road that goes up the hill to the temple. So this is the way that most people would come to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. They would enter that way and head up to the Temple Mount, and then at the Temple Mount they would go through the main southern gates into the temple called the Hulda Gates. And I got a picture of that as well. Uh, We got to sit on those steps, uh, those southern steps, the actual stone steps that Jesus himself would have walked on, maybe sat on as he taught the crowds there at the temple. Now, all of this is interesting. I love this kind of stuff. That's why I like going to Israel and and, and enjoy taking a group because historically, archaeologically, geographically, these are interesting things to debate, 
to wonder, to try to picture in our minds exactly what Jesus did, where he was, what he saw at those moments, to kind of stand in that space that Jesus stood in. But in the end, it doesn't really matter which gate Jesus went into, does it? Because the point is that Jesus did enter into Jerusalem. He went through some gate, he went into the city, he went to the Temple Mount, and he did it all for one reason, and that is to die on the cross for our sins, to complete God's redemptive plan from eternity past, to defeat once and for all sin, hell, and the grave. Amen? So the point is that Jesus entered the gates of Jerusalem to become the gate through which all people must enter to gain access to God the Father. So the only gate that really matters is the Jesus gate. Now Jesus referred to himself as a gate on numerous occasions. For example, in John chapter 10, Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, in Jesus' day, a shepherd would either build a rock enclosure for the sheep to go in at night or they would find a cave. And it's amazing when you're over there, there are caves everywhere. It was just the craziest thing. Oh, there's a cave. Oh, there's a cave. Every look, there's a cave. And so they would use one of those natural caves as like a stable. But here's what the shepherd would do. The shepherd would literally lay down his life. He would stretch himself out at the entrance to that cave or that enclosure, and he would be the gate. And as he slept there, the sheep would not come out, and being there was a deterrent to any animal or any thief to come in. That shepherd literally was taking his life in his hands. He was literally laying down his life to protect the sheep. Did Jesus not lay down his life to save us? He is that gate. He is the only way through which we can be saved. In Matthew 7, Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Jesus is that narrow path. He is that gate through which we enter into eternal life. He's referring to himself. Jesus is the gate. So today I want us to focus on this idea that Jesus is the only way by which we can have access to God the Father. And we're going to use another example of where Jesus spells out in no uncertain terms that He is the one and only way by which we may gain access to God the Father. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. And stay there. We're going to come back to this chapter a couple of other times. But right now let's look at verses 1 through 7. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, 
uh, how do we, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Jesus' words here echo words spoken millennia earlier by God to the people of Israel upon the Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 6, we see these words of covenant relationship between God and His people. Listen to what God says. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Listen to what God is telling the people of it, what He's going to do for them, who He's going to be to them. He's going to bring them out from slavery and bring them into a land of freedom and of life. He's going to redeem them and rescue them. He's going to gather them together as His people and He will be their God. Both God's covenant words here in Exodus and Jesus' comforting words in John, they both uh, are, are very much reinforced by the Jewish wedding vows that a man makes to his betrothed bride. So the Jewish wedding vows were patterned after that Exodus chapter 6. And what Jesus says to his disciples is patterned after those Jewish wedding vows. So when a man is going to his betrothed, he tells her, he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm literally going to go and build us a house. And when I'm done, when it's ready, I'm going to come and take you to be with me. And I will be your husband and you will be my wife. That's what Jesus is saying to his bride of the church. He's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come again and bring us to be with him where he is. He will be our God and we will be his people. But, but these words of protection, of provision and preparation are also words that point us to the tabernacle and the temple. When Jesus says, you know the way, I am the way, the only way. In the temple and earlier in the tabernacle, there was one way in. One way you could go into the Holy of Holies where the glory and presence of God dwelt. And Jesus says, I am that one way through which everyone must go to become sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so thinking about God's covenant promises in Exodus 6, thinking about how God delivered Israel from Egypt, how He provided a way of rescue both through the Red Sea and, and later a, a way to enter the promised land through the Jordan, thinking about how God provided for them and protected them in the wilderness, we can think of Jesus as our way out of slavery and death and into life. He is the way of deliverance from our old way of life and into a new way of life, a, 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 a way of living in freedom in God. He is the, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that guides our feet on the right paths. He is the one who provides for us through our wilderness wanderings. He is the promised land that we enter into for life abundant and eternal. Jesus is our way, but Jesus is also our truth. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law and prophets. When you look at the Old Testament, the entirety 
of the Hebrew Scriptures points ahead to Jesus Christ, who is the living Word of God. He is the physical embodiment of all of God's truth and God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, God warned the Israelites that if they're going to enter into and possess and keep the land, they must obey the truth of God's law. Listen to what he says through Moses. Take heart to all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your what? Life. By them you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. You see, Jesus is not only a truth that we obey. Jesus is the life that that truth guarantees. In the Old Testament, the promised land equaled life for the people. And the way they maintained, the way they kept that land was by keeping the law. Keeping the truth of the Word of God. If they wanted to live long in the land... They had to obey what God told them. Jesus is our promised land. He is our inheritance. He is our life. And He is the truth that we are to obey. But Jesus is that life that that truth guarantees. And so the Christian journey involves confessing, acknowledging, and following Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is all three at the same time. So you can't say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus as the way and have Jesus as the life, but I'm not going to have him as the truth. It's a package deal. You have to take Jesus as all three. And the challenge for us is that each one of these truths about Jesus comes with a crisis of faith that we all must face. And we see these crises of faith in the Gospels. So let's first of all this morning think about following Jesus as the way. If we're Christians, we're to follow the Jesus way first and foremost. We, we choose to journey with Jesus. We trust in Him as the way. And just as any path does, the way of Jesus has a beginning and it has a destination. A starting point and a finishing point. Listen to what Isaiah 30 says. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teacher will not hide himself any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher, and whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear the command behind you, this is the way, walk in it. In other words, as we go through life's journey, we are tempted. We're drawn to the right, to the left. We get distracted by all kinds of shiny things around us. And when we do, God says your teacher will be there whispering behind you, don't, don't go this way. Don't, go, don't get distracted by that. Don't follow that path. This is the way. Walk in it. Now, who is that teacher? Well, look at what Psalm 143.10 says. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And look with me again at John chapter 14. I told you to keep that open. Look at verses 15 through 17 and then verse 26. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me... You will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world isn't able to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. And in verse 26, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit, 
God's Spirit is that teacher that is telling us this is the way. Walk in it. He is there to guide us on level ground. He's there to, to help us remember everything that Jesus said to us. He is the one who guides us along the way. You know, in any time that we're on a journey, we often think of the destination, right? If you're on a trip, you know, I know some people went to Disney World over the weekend. You know, that's your destination. You're thinking about Disney World or you're, you're going to the Masters, right? You're thinking about the Masters and that beautiful golf course. We, we tend to focus on the destination. And the same is true in our Christian life. We focus on the destination on heaven. And truly, that's a good thing to think about. But there's also an urgent purpose to our journey. God has called us to this journey, not just so that we go to heaven when we die, but to carry out His redemptive mission along the way. He's given us that that missional journey to live, and we see that in the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28. He tells us, therefore go. Now, the Greek word is better translated, as you go. As we go along life's way, as we live our life, we're to be bringing as many people along with us on the journey. Amen? We're going to be making disciples so that others are going with us to that destination of heaven. So the the Jesus way is about belonging to a growing community of people who are on mission together heading the same direction. But here we see the first crisis of faith. And that's that many would no longer follow Jesus even though He is the way. Jesus is the way. Yet we see in places like John chapter 6 that people turned away from following the way. They they abandoned Jesus. In in John 6, Jesus confronts the crowd about their motives, right? He's been been miraculously feeding them. He's been healing the sick. And and, and they, they just are following after Him, and they keep demanding more bread and more signs and more miracles. And Jesus is like, well, are you following me for the bread and the healings? Are you following me for me? And so He gives them a challenge. He says, if you really want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you do, you'll have eternal life. Well, the people didn't understand what he meant. And it says that some of them said, this, is, this teaching is too much for us. We can't handle this. And they turned away. Now, what Jesus was saying there, he was both illustrating the kind of death he would die, that his flesh would die, his blood would be spilt for us, that, that it, this mission of redemption would cost him his life. And if we want to follow him, we have to take up our cross as well. If we want to follow him, we have to go all in with him. We have to feast upon him. We have to be consumed by him. We have to go all in with him is what he was trying to say. And it was too much for them. And so in John 6, Jesus then, it says, From that many, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer accompanied him. And so Jesus then looks to the rest of the twelve. So the crowds leave, the twelve are there. And he says, You don't want to go away too, do you? Listen to what Simon said. He said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So we see this crisis of faith among Jesus' followers, but it's not the only one. In Holy Week, we see a crisis of faith. As Ben said, the the, the crowds that are chanting and, and, and praising on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, another crowd on Friday was shouting, crucify him. And the disciples, one of them betrayed him. Simon Peter, who was like, Lord, to whom else would we go? Denied him three times. And the rest abandoned him. When we commit to the journey with Jesus, we have to commit to go with him all the way. No turning back. 
So yeah, when the going gets tough, when the stakes seem too high, when your back is up against the wall, are you going to cave in? You going to go with the flow? You going to save your own skin? You going to bow the knee to Rome? Or are you going to stand firm and discover that Jesus is the way? He is the truth. He is the life. He is the Holy One of God. We have to follow the Jesus way. Secondly, we have to obey the Jesus truth. Because if we trust that Jesus is the only way for our life's journey to take, we have to then be willing to obey Jesus. To obey what He teaches us. In other words, once we ask which is the way, we then have to say what is the truth. And is this way the true way? Now, truth isn't just some abstract concept. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ is the truth. He gives us the spirit of truth. Listen to John chapter 16. Jesus says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Not just some truth. Not just spiritual truth. All truth. Because all truth is God's truth. Right? Because it's true. And if it's true, it comes from God. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me, because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. So to know the truth, to believe the truth, to obey the truth, to share the truth, is to know Jesus. It's to obey Jesus. It's to believe Jesus. It's to share Jesus with others. Truth is relational. It's not just propositional. It's relational. Author Leonard Sweet writes this, this relational view of truth contrasts with the world's way of thinking and demands more than mere intellectual consent. It requires obedience. If Jesus is truth, then we have to do more than just believe Him up here. We have to believe Him in here so that it translates into the way we live our lives, into the things that we do. If Jesus is the way and the truth, we must follow, believe, and obey Him. Jesus, look back in, in chapter 14. I told you to keep it open there. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word. And My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. And that brings us to the second crisis of faith. And that's that many would not believe in Jesus, even though He is the truth. Just as they turned from following Jesus the way, there are some who chose not to believe Jesus the truth. In John chapter 12, verse 37, it says, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe Him. And so we think about Palm Sunday, and in a way, Palm Sunday is a celebration of truth. The truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the one and only way to the Father, the gate through which we must enter. And as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and the crowds are proclaiming this truth, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, it makes them a little uncomfortable. It threatens their power. It's shaking up the status quo. This is an inconvenient truth for them. And what do they try to do? They try to suppress it. They try to silence the truth and censor the truth and cancel the truth. 
They say to Jesus, Jesus, you've got to tell your people to stop saying this. And Jesus says, even if they were to be silent, the very rocks would cry out. This is a truth that cannot be contained. It must be proclaimed. Listen, if we are going to be people of the truth of Jesus, if we're going to obey the Jesus truth, we can't let the rocks cry out the truth. We've got to speak truth. And listen, there are some truths that the world today wants to silence and suppress and censor. And it is up to us, the people of God, to stand up and to speak truth. That's what Palm Sunday is about. And if we do not follow Jesus and obey Jesus, Jesus says we don't really believe in Him. We don't really love Him if we don't obey Him and believe in Him and seek to follow after Him. When we reject truth, when we refuse God's love, our lives will show the fruit of that decision. The ancient Israelites were guilty of this. Again, in Deuteronomy 31, Moses warned them. He said, I know that after my death you're sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I've commanded you. Moses knew them. He he knew their track record. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse His anger by what your hands have made, meaning idols. He knew they would turn to idols. In failing to follow God's way and obey God's truth, they would lose out on the land, which was their life. See, that's the the thing. If we are to follow the Jesus way, if we're to obey the Jesus truth, then the promise is that we will be blessed to live the Jesus life. But if we want to live that life, we must follow His way and obey His truth. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. If the, if the circulating pump had worked this morning, we would be having a baptism today. And you would see this demonstrated in the waters of baptism. We illustrate not only that Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead, but what Paul says here, that we die to self. We are buried with Christ. We are now in Jesus. And the life we now live, it's Jesus living through us. It's the crucified life. And the crucified life is also a resurrection life. And we live it by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. I want to conclude with this, with with what is this Jesus life? If we're going to follow the Jesus way and obey the Jesus truth so we can live this Jesus life, what kind of life is it? Well, first of all, it's a new life. It's a new life. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. When you have the life of Christ within you, you become a new creation. Your past, your mistakes, your shame, your regret, that's history. That's yesterday. You are someone new. You've been given a fresh start, a clean slate by the grace of God. It's a new life. Secondly, it's an abundant life. We read this earlier in John 10.10. Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Listen, the Christian life is the greatest life that you can have because the very source of life, the creator of life, lives within you. 
And He lives through you. Jesus wants us to have the best life, the most abundant life. He wants us to live life to the full. Life that is so full, life that is growing more wonderful day by day until the the day that this body can no longer contain it. And guess what? That life just keeps on going. And so it's also an eternal life. But that eternal life doesn't wait till you die to begin. That eternal life begins now. Begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Look what Jesus himself said in John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life just isn't about length of days. It's about knowledge of God. When you know God, when you're living in Christ, your life is eternal. It will never truly end. Because it is in Him. And finally, it's a freeing life. It's new. It's abundant. It's never-ending. And it's a life of freedom. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In John 8, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Did you get that? We are not slaves. We are free. We are sons and daughters of the Master. We belong to the family of God. Why would we ever want to be slaves again? Why would we ever want to let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery? Yet when we look at the Bible, that's what the people of God did time and time again. Boy, we can be foolish, can't we? We read in the Bible how God's people turned from the Lord to worship idols. They forgot their place in His family. They became enslaved again to the old ways of Egypt. It's like the parable of the prodigal son. We turn our back on our father as if he is dead to us. We demand what's ours and we go off and we live in the ways of the world. And we become so spiritually impoverished that we're just enjoying the very sloth of sin. This is the third and final crisis of faith. The people of Jerusalem, the religious leaders, the Roman officials, crucified Jesus even though He is the life. They sought to put the life to death. Look with me at John chapter 8. If you just flip a couple pages over, Jesus continues from what He just said about knowing the truth and the truth setting us free. In verse 37, and again He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and He says, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your Father. They're kind of confused by that. And they say, well, our Father is Abraham. Jesus told them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your Father does. (laughs) We weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one Father, God. Jesus told them, If God were your Father, you would love me. 
because I came from God and I am here, for I didn't come on my own, but He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who is your father? Because you either belong to God the Father or you belong to the God of this world, the devil himself. That's what Jesus said. And if you belong to God the Father, you will hear his voice. You will know and seek to obey the truth. You will follow the way and you will have that new, abundant, and free, and eternal life. Who is your father? Who does your heart belong to? Maybe today you're like the prodigal son. You need to come to your senses and return home. Remember that story? The prodigal son, he's slopping pigs. And he's so impoverished, he's so desperate, he's so lonely, he is so at the bottom of the barrel, even the slop of the pigs looks good to him. And I love it. It's one of the best verses in that story. It says, and he came to himself. He came to his senses. And he said, why am I living like this? My, the, the slaves in my father's household have it better than this. I'm going to go home to my father. And maybe I don't deserve to come back as his son. Maybe he'll receive me as his slave. And he gets this speech in his mind and he, and he goes. But when he comes home, his father runs out and embraces him, not as a slave, but as his son. And he celebrates the return home. He kills the fatted calf and throws a party. He puts the best sandals on his feet, the best robe around his back, his own signet ring on his finger and says, my son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. When you come to your senses, when you return home to the Father, He will always welcome you back as a son or a daughter. Because He loves you. Jesus died for you. You know the saying that the destination is the journey? Well, for the Christian, that's true. Because Jesus is the way. He's not just the destination. He's the direction we go to get there. All of creation was created for, by, and to Jesus. That means that everything is heading to Him. All of history is heading to Him. Creation itself is heading to Him. Are you heading to Him? He is the truth. He's our companion. He's our trail God. He helps us navigate this world damaged by sin, guiding our steps by His truth and wisdom so we can walk the straight and narrow path of righteousness. Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Do you believe the truth of Jesus? Are you living the life of Jesus? Because Jesus is that promised destination that we already can begin enjoying along the way. Jesus isn't just something we enjoy when we die. He's there with us today. We experience the kingdom of God now. He gives us and sustains our life. He is the source and the point of our life. And that's why the only way we can truly live is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, it's a life so abundant, so full, and so free, it never truly ends. 
We experience the Jesus life here and now. As we follow Him so closely, we become more and more like Him. We're conformed more and more to His image. But guess what? There is coming a day when we will fully be in the presence of Jesus. There's coming a day when we will fully experience life without pain and suffering, without sin or separation. Someday we'll discover that the Jesus life is the resurrection life. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, even though their body dies. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Our life never ends. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Ephesians 2, 6, he says that God has raised us up with Christ Jesus. Not only will our bodies be raised from the dead when He returns, but even in our life here, we are raised with Christ. It's as if we're seated in the heavenly realms already. Are you? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you experienced the power of the risen Jesus giving you abundant, freeing, eternal life? Have you made the choice to follow in the way of Jesus? To obey Him as the truth? If you have not, then I invite you to do that today. Today you can take that first step on the Jesus way. Today you can say, I believe in the Jesus truth and I want to receive the Jesus life. And He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you and forgive you. He wants to give you a fresh start. Will you do it today? And if you're already a believer, what crisis of faith are you facing today? Maybe you have a hard time following the way of Jesus. You know, sometimes the way of Jesus is difficult. It's rocky. Jesus said that it's a narrow, difficult path. It's hard to walk. Sometimes He asks us to give up things we don't want to give up. To make sacrifices we don't really want to make. Sometimes He asks us to step out in faith and try something new that's a little bit scary. He calls us to go places and to do things and to say things to people that make us nervous because what if they think I'm a Jesus freak? What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if they reject me? Are you following the Jesus way? Are you believing and obeying His truth? Are you fully experiencing the life that He has promised you? Or have you turned your back on your Father and you followed after the lies of this world? And you find yourself feasting on slop? Maybe... You need to come home to your Father today and say, Jesus, forgive me. I've wandered from the path. You told me this is the way. Walk in it and I've resisted it. Forgive me. I come today to rededicate my life to You, to be Your Son, Father. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Whatever God is calling you to do, would you surrender to Him your will? Would you ask Him to remove the obstacles in your path and give you the faith to trust and obey so you can experience that life abundant and free. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church or to make public your profession of faith through baptism. Whatever He's speaking to you, let's stand. Let's obey. Father, thank You so much for what this day represents, the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what He came to do. And Lord, it's easy on today to celebrate that and to shout out Hosanna. But come tomorrow and the next day and the next day, it gets a little bit harder sometimes. 
to live out the truth of Jesus. To speak what we know is right. To follow the path you have given us. And when we don't, we miss out on so much of the life that you want to give us, Father. So I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Draw us to you in faith. May we be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.